Welcome to Hype Louisville, where we bring you the most exciting things happening in our city and talk to the people making it happen. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew Beckman and Nathan Shanks. Let's get hyped. Hype Louisville, welcome back. It is episode three. I am Nathan Shanks. And I'm Andrew Beckman. And we are happy to have our guest. You know how you know you're lucky to have a guest? I was on this guy's Facebook page today. It says at the top, accepting no friend requests. He has that many friends. <laughs> so, uh, Demetrius Gray, yeah. welcome to the show. Thank you for being here, man. That's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I feel grateful to be one of those uh, friends. Listen, you got in early. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, is my application going to be but in no. queue? <laughs> it's under review. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Seriously, though, thank you for coming. Uh, so, uh, tradition of the, of the podcast is you have to say one thing you're hyped about for this week. So, uh, one thing this week that's, uh, that you're hyped about. Man, well, so I'm super hyped about the snow. I mean, it's been years since we've gotten mm-hmm. this much snow. Yeah. So I'm like, man, this is legit. You know, yeah. normally it's nasty and like sort of like gray and, but this is like clear skies, perfect snow. Yeah. And so that, that gets me hyped because that means I can bear being in Louisville this time of year a little bit longer. Right. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I'm like, Probably about January, February, I'm like ready to dip. I'm like, okay, Miami's calling my name. I'm like, can I get to some yep. beach somewhere? Exactly. So hyped that, man, this, this weather's giving us an opportunity to kind of chill out, relax a little bit, and uh, enjoy what, what Louisville's got to offer. It's kind of that Rocky Mountain vibe. I mean, I'm feeling it, man. Yeah. I agree. I'm I agree. Like, Utah ain't got nothing on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a couple hills right, right next door we can go practice some yep, downhill yep. skiing <laughs> or boarding packed on that hill when i drove here i was like i was like man it is deep over here on the, on the right over there yeah, on by the center yeah. golf course yeah it was lit it was not covid friendly though i'm just gonna go <laughs> man at least yeah. they're outside i guess yeah, that's true. well what are you hyped about nathan well he stole mine i'm hyped about the snow too but uh <laughs> I'm I'm also hyped that uh, spring's around the corner. I'm ready to whip those golf mm-hmm. clubs out and uh, go play. So might drag uh, Demetrius out at some point this year too. Well, you'll have to compete because he's going to go on a bike ride. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saturday golf, Sunday ride. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah! Cool. Well, those are two great ideas. I'm actually I'm I'm hyped about this podcast despite the technical difficulties, but. This the first guest was hard to top, but this one's gonna be even better, and I'm just excited about the people I get to meet through, through through this podcast. So I'm I'm it's pretty cool. I'm stoked about it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anytime you get to hear a mover and a shaker talk about how they're overcoming obstacles and getting things done despite the circumstances, it just makes me want to go out there and get after it. And I'm hyped about that. So ready to. For me, the weekend is like a Monday, so I'm ready for the week to start. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no kidding in the real estate business. You That's right. Grinding yeah. all weekend. Yep. So, so uh, another one. You're a popular name in Louisville. A lot of people know who you are, but for those who don't, why don't you give us a little bit of background how you got to today? Yeah, so Demetrius Gray, co founder and CEO of WeatherCheck. You know, a little bit of my background, uh, you know, I came from a family of inventors, entrepreneurs. So, my grandfather invented the horizontal drill for fracking and you know, my great grandfather was in the die casting business in Southern California, and so this is kind of what we do, right? Um, yeah. You know, I spent most of my early childhood thinking of ideas and seeing opportunities and sort of navigating from there, and so that's what really got me to WeatherCheck was seeing an opportunity. Um, I was a CPA, as an operating officer, and a a family-owned business that was chasing wind and hailstorms around the country, cleaning up after disasters. And I really was there in a moment where there was a lot of innovation happening um, in the space. And I was like, hey, there's some gaps here, specifically as it related to insurance. And so today, WeatherCheck is the only tool in the market that helps predict damage to structures after severe weather events, such that you or I, when a weather event happens, can say, okay, should I be following this loss or should I not? Um, and now I don't have to rely on 
contractors knocking on my door saying, hey, you should file this loss. Did you know that's covered? Or, you know, missing the opportunity altogether for something that you already pay for, which is your property and homeowner's insurance. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so today we do that for almost 5 million customers throughout the United States. And that uh, has been, you know, sort of our claim to fame and, you know, chilling doing it. Cool. Question. So, yeah, that's fascinating. I find it. So, is your target market individual? Like, are you direct to consumer, or are you are you collaborating with like roofing companies? In other words, that like because it seems like they would benefit as well as, or is it more about the consumer? So, it's always about the consumer. Fair enough. If you ask <laughs> anybody, yeah, yeah. If, you if you're in anybody, sales, yeah, like if you're in sales, or you ask anybody at a carrier, they're gonna say it's all about the policyholder, even though they're taking the premium. And so for us, we really think about it that way, even though there's a third party payer. So in most, in most cases, our, the person that we really have to satisfy is oftentimes the insurance company. Yeah. But in collaboration with that individual policyholder, because at the end of the day, like, yes, we service um, and help contractors and, and sort of inspectors and drone pilots and all these people who are working to make one of our users whole again. But at the end of the day, it's really about this sort of idea that there can be this nirvana around a claims experience. So you imagine a scenario where your house is bowled over by a tornado. The last thing you need is for a whole bunch of contractors to be jockeying for position oh, to yeah. put your life back together. And so WeatherCheck sort of steps into that conversation to say, listen, we've done this thousands of times. And so we know exactly what to do when to help you get through that process and not just in and of ourselves, but in collaboration with your insurance agent broker, with in, in collaboration with your carrier, with your mortgage company even, so that we make it all make sense. Right. Right. Because, and, and then, you know, in a lot of these catastrophe scenarios, you're talking about issues like with government agencies, FEMA, and, you know, and people who've been fully displaced. And so, you know, that's sort of where we play. It's a, a bit of work that People are saying, you know, your company's kind of an enigma because these things are complicated, you know? And we're like, that's exactly where we want to be. We want to be in a place where we have so much competitive advantage because not too many people in the world are willing to take it on, mm -hmm. right? Take on the work of saying, okay, no, 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 we'll help you get through this sort of time. And so, and we're seeing it even now. We're sitting here in Louisville while there's still a lot of people in the state of Texas that don't have any power. Mm -hmm. And so after this, you know, winter polar vortex that we've just gone through. And so there's always that story in the country. And yeah. We feel really good about the prospects of the future, right? That I think the weather's probably only going to get worse. Yeah. And um, that bodes really well for prospects of WeatherCheck, the company, as well as, you know, all of our employees that work here and throughout the rest of the country. So how's that work? Like I'm, I've got a hailstorm in my neighborhood and... There's damage to my roof, and I know it, and I'm a weather check consumer. Do I have to do anything? Do I, is, there, is there a number I call, or do I call a contractor myself? Like, what does that look like as a consumer? So what typically happens is uh, we would have notified you, right? So um, most of our communications occur via SMS. So minutes after the storm, you've already gotten a notification from us saying, hey, we think this, asset, this particular storm you just encountered was damaging to your structure. Would you like to file a claim? Oh, wow. And, yeah. and if the answer is yes, then we embark upon that process for you um, in collaboration with your insurance agent or broker, right? And we basically create all of the basis for why you're taking that action, which increases your odds with the carrier. Yep. And then um, from there, what you do is you basically assign the benefit of your claim directly to us, and we advance all the money, right? So once your insurance company says, yeah, hey, we're going to pay for a new roof or a new siding, gutters, whatever's, go whatever's going on from the event, then we say, okay, we'll make the money available immediately so that we can start matching contractors to the work, and then we guarantee it all, okay. right? So we put a poor workmanship endorsement over top of all of it, and, um, you know, the rest is history. And what that translates to is that all of your work gets done faster mm -hmm. than everybody else in the market because... Our contractors know that they're not going to have to wait for weeks and weeks and weeks to be paid, as well as the fact that our suppliers, uh, material suppliers, know that, hey, you know, WeatherCheck's sitting here with 
you know, millions and millions of dollars to sort of help these particular customers get through it, which means just better cash flow for them. And so, um, and then what we do is we take a fee from the claim itself. And so, and it's basically a savings fee. So whatever we can save on what it costs to do the work, we keep. And uh, you get back whole quickly. Wow, okay. Yeah. Complicated work, but it's proved, you know, pretty fruitful for us so far. I heard a quote one time. I don't know. I don't know who. Someone smarter than me, but they said, you know, go out and find the most complicated problem in the world and solve it, and you'll never be poor. And it seems like you may have done just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like when we talk about it, like sometimes one of the challenges for us is to talk about it simply. Yeah. Because a lot of people yeah. haven't encountered it before. Um, they don't know what it means to be in a disaster until they're in one, and they're like, "Oh, this sucks." Mm-hmm. You know, and and frankly, nobody tells them that you know you need to be paying more attention uh, to some of those risk factors earlier on, um, so that you you know I think we all know the story of like Hurricane Katrina and what happened to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, entire city blocked. Nobody came back, and so it's really in our economic interest as communities to try to make sure that we're as resilient as possible. And you're seeing it even now, like I said, in Dallas and other places where people are like, okay, like there's a sort of false sense of security and COVID should have taught us this by now. Right. There's a sort of false sense of security that exists in the economy that, oh, well, because I can go to the grocery store and get bread today, that the bread will be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or that because I can flip on the light switch today, that I can flip on the light switch tomorrow. And so some of those investments that we need to make and sort of making sure, and I think, I think we're only headed to, fortunately, times where those considerations have to be made more and more, not to go too dark, but, you know, so, so the thing that we're super hype about in every day. Pun intended, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> is, is about this sort of notion that, like, making people more resilient, um, being able to stand on their own two feet, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that, you know, whether that means putting a solar roof on your house or Mm -hmm. rain catchment roof systems or, you know, any of these things that sort of make it possible for you not to have to rely on, you know, sort of government systems to live the rest of your life is a a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think, uh, and this may be getting ahead of ourselves, but it just, and I agree with you, I think it's in a municipality's economic interest to be preventative like that. But in a world where we're seeing local governments struggling to, you know, I mean, it's kind of a joke here in Louisville, right? When it snows, it's like, you know, our infrastructure just shuts down. Yeah. Where is the snow removal, you know? And again, that might be the frequency in which that it occurs. You know, we're not allocating the right resources and whatnot. How do you, as on behalf of WeatherCheck, get into that conversation and get them to care, get them to pay attention? Well, I wish this, this uh, answer were more fun, but the right answer is you have to study it yeah. first. And, and so when we look at, if you remember years ago when we had the uh, big hailstorm and it affected Ford very heavily, mm-hmm. and I think they had almost a billion dollars in damages as a result of the entire fleet being damaged by large hailstones. Wow. Those are the sort of implications. You see, think about the downtime of the Whirlpool facility. Yeah. You know, in recent days. Mm-hmm. Those are the sort of implications that have to be studied so that the city begins to understand. Here's the cost of non-resilient actions. Even if you think about it in the context of, like, the city of Louisville self-insuring its own risk up to a quarter million dollars. Well, like, one of the things that we've studied at WeatherCheck is, like, hey, all the city government-owned property, like, we... Basically, when that hailstorm happened, we didn't get one roof replacement out of it. JCPS didn't get one roof replacement out of it. Right. I mean... Why? Because they self-insure their risk, and it ne- those things never met the threshold, mm-hmm. so they missed the opportunity altogether. And so, like, it's, it's like basically setting your deductible too high. Yeah, exactly. And never repairing yeah. your property. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those things, and so when you... The way that translates to the average consumer is now JCPS is saying we want to increase property taxes to pay for more schools. Right, right. Well, hmm, doesn't actually make sense. Why don't you just increase your insurance policy and then file claims? 
Right. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Up against some of these risks because we have more than enough bad weather to support yeah. it. Right. Nobody's asked me, but those are the sort of things that I would think about. I think cities and governments have to be just as pragmatic as their citizens. Yeah. And so if you or I in our homes are sort of making that decision strategically, then our government should be doing the same thing. Right, um, right. In terms of managing its own risk and taking some risk mitigation measures in the long run. So presenting that data to those stakeholders is, is how we have to start. For us, it's not a vertical just yet. You know, we're still very heavily focused on the for-profit sector and, and uh, residential, commercial, you know, those types of assets. But, but eventually that's where we see ourselves going is having that conversation with city governments and state and municipal governments and public brokers, like uh, uh, public sector divisions of mm-hmm. who are insuring cities um, about here's how you sort of manage through uh, some of these disasters. I mean, I think the most recent one I can think of is the Nashville tornado, you know? Yeah. In fact, a lot of government assets really wasn't a plan in place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so... It baffles me that someone would have a self-insured retention and not have that money set aside and allocated for it, right? Usually when you're gonna when you're gonna self-insure, it's because you have the funds to you got a lot of cash. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a concern. <laughs> and so yeah, like like but the government sort of plays as if it has tons of capital. Right. But then it also tells us that they don't have a lot of capital. So I'm like, which is it? Uh-huh. Like, do we have tons of cash or do we not have tons of cash? Because <laughs> yeah. y'all playing like y'all don't have, y'all have a lot of capital. And uh, so it completely makes sense for companies like Apple and Google and Amazon right. and all these right. companies that's just sitting on, you know, billions. So, right. You know, but it doesn't quite make sense for us here locally. And so, but I think that's the, the beauty of innovation, right? And technology and, and what it can provide to sort of help open the eyes mm-hmm. of, you know, sort of sleepy, because sometimes we're kind of a sleepy town, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. So like, hey, um, you might want to take a look at that over there. Yeah, you know, like yeah. That sort of data is, is what it sort of creates power for us to say, uh, you know, you missed out on, you know, you know $30 million in recoveries. Yeah, gosh. Of not having your insurance structured appropriately. And, and frankly, that's exactly what the application does today, right? So, you know, tens of thousands of people come to our website every single month. They search their house and they find out that, oh, I missed an event. Yeah, yeah. Right? A hail event, storm. Event, wind event. Yeah. Extreme temperature event, whatever it might be. You know, does that sometimes produce more claims? Yeah, sometimes it does. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we're explicit with that about carriers. What we try to get get across to them, though, is that it's about also controlling cost, right? So when we manage a claim, we manage it more less expensively than if the consumer had gone out on their own and tried to right. decide. Because, again, a contractor is typically always going to sort of try and gouge the care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so that we do not do. Because we're a venture-backed startup, we have the ability and flexibility to sort of take lesser margin in, in the sake of growth. Right. Um, and so that's what we do. Yeah. That's us through and through. Can we talk a little more, a little bit more about that? Like, so with, with regards to the carrier, so I'm fat as in sales, I'm fascinated with, um, how people overcome objections because it seems to be the, the thorn, if you will, behind any person's success. There's, there's hurdles and there's people that say no and object, jack, jack. Yeah. And so the term claim minded like do you hear that do you have to overcome that like oh you're 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 a company that you're just going to pile on these claims and kind of like Rawlings with their subrogation like mm-hmm. you know how um do you, is that an objection or is that of course it is yeah how do you navigate that we tell them how are you going to how, how are you actually going to prevent that yeah oh, okay all right it's happening anyway it's happening anyway we're going to make it easy <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Like, we don't control whether or not you get a claim. Right. Like, are these claims legitimate or are they not? You write the policy. You Where write the policy. I'm, I'm just showing up after the fact. I, yeah. Right. Know, well, well, why yeah. Me? Yeah. Okay. You know? Like, yeah. And so, and the long run thesis here is that if you were to assume that there were consistent and predictable behaviors in insurance, specifically in the way people file claims, 
then you could price the risk more appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so you've heard the term rising tides lift all ships. Well, in this case, if you assumed that everybody was going to file every single claim every single time, then the pricing would look differently. Yes, that does mean for you, Mr. Consumer, that your home insurance is going to be more expensive. But it also means that nobody's going to fight you when it's time to actually file the loss. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I think most consumers would say, I'm, I actually rather, the only reason that, that we're in the position that we are in now is that consumers believe that they have actually paid for what they're getting. And it's not actually true. Right. Like the problem today is that the risk is being priced too cheap and you're getting way more than what you actually paid for. And mm -hmm. if you're one of those people who's, who's you know, um, or, or let me say, the pool is getting way more than what it's actually paid for. So you may be one of those people who never filed a claim in 30 years, and then you file a claim, and then it gets denied, and you're pissed. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's in part because that claim handling policy is there in that way because all your friends and neighbors were filing 10 years ago. Yeah. And, getting, you know, you saw your neighbor get that new roof, and you're like, oh, wasn't that great? He's fixing up his property finally. <laughs> but that translates to you having a more difficult time in the future. So what we've got to get to is sort of a better understanding. And so what Weather Check Today really is all about is actually the data that occurs and can be collected when you have a loss. So let's say- Yeah, that auto notification. Brilliant. It's just the notifications. It's the data. So, so we're sitting in your beautiful house and you've made all these renovations, but your insurance company doesn't know that you made those renovations. Unless you told them. Unless yeah. You told them. Well, Nathan, oh, you're not insuring us yet, but take note. <laughs> take note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, right? So you may increase your level of contents, but that's right. Yeah. Values. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Still hurting. People me. do yeah. basement but renovation. I less intact. Yeah. And they don't tell their insurance company. And I mean, if there's a claim, they're not going to pay for it. They won't. You know. They're, and so. I mean, I've seen basement damaged claims up to two hundred grand. Yeah. And sometimes people do their whole basement, they'll finish it and not update their insurance. You know, that's something that I, I don't tell clients to do. I, this is they, the first, and I probably haven't updated my, our insurance. And that I mean, would piss me off The water backup limit no alone, if your sump pump fails and the water comes back in from the sewer, yeah. there's a sublimit there and most of the standards like 10 grand. So hmm. if you don't have yeah. more, then you're going to get a $10,000 check and that might pay for the, for the debris removal. Yeah. They might pay for that. But what, what happens in insurance today is that there's a huge underwriting risk challenge. The data is not there to support why that underwriting risk is actually being uh, uh, the data around what you did here, mm -hmm. right? Like, so the carrier has no way to validate that, hey, this house is no longer valued at what it once was because he went in and made all these renovations. Yeah, yeah. The same thing happens after claims. So the carrier says, oh, I'll pay you, you know, $100,000 on that burnout. You know, and then they'll never come back and check and say, oh, well, hey, there's now $100,000 in new value or $200,000 in new value Damn. for that address. And so, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, like the inability to sort of collect that data is hurting the industry. And so we have to sort of create um, systems and processes that collect that data. So what WeatherCheck eventually does is it takes the claims data all that metadata that we got from the claims experience, and then we pass it right back to the carrier and say, hey, Mr. Carrier, here's all the metadata on what we did at this structure. Wow, right? yeah. So then, then at renewal, now we can have a very different conversation. Hey, maybe it's true that now there isn't a risk that you're gonna ever pay a claim ever again on this house because they put on a metal roof. Right, right. Yeah. And every 30 year cycle, there's your whatever, yeah, whatever. That's exactly right. And so, so it's little stuff like that, that, you know, we've sort of figured out how to, you know, craft that trap and, and uh, it works really well. And, you know, today we don't have any competitors, but I'm sure that'll change after this podcast. <laughs> God, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, uh, yeah, yeah. One bad the, for you, but it'd be, hey, people are actually listening. One of the two, <laughs> one of the two million people that are listening yeah. to this. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing that I wanted to, or go, do you have anything? Or, go for it. Okay. Is the, is generationally speaking, are you seeing the demographics of your customers as far as age? Like, I, 
react differently. And what I'm getting is that instant notification via via text seems like that would work great for someone like me or my wife. My mom and my dad, not so much, but they just replaced the roof, and they probably would have benefited from doing that, you know, five, ten years ago, whenever we had the ice storm. I didn't know if are you are you switching that that automatic notification up like to a different medium, like, well, we'll do print mailers for these people. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is omni-channel. Actually, interestingly enough, one of the things that we're seeing that's a huge success right now is actually um, the uh, use of FedEx mailers. Really? So, so interesting. So during the you know like direct mail pieces used to work really well. Mm-hmm. That was ten years ago, and you know you could send out a mail piece, sixty-five cents on average, and mm-hmm. get a response back. Somebody call you. Yeah. You guys send about three of those now. To I was get gonna it. say, mine, I usually don't even look at the ones that come in the mail. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, unless they're from me, right? Um, <laughs> unless they're from, and if I know them, that's different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so now, what we what we found is that that certain home value is actually what makes more sense. And the pandemic created some of this. Mm-hmm. At, you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was having this run on toilet paper. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found all the toilet paper. I think Andrew has it. Yeah, dude. My wife went crazy. <laughs> so, you know, what you, What we did is we ordered 600 rolls. Oh, nice. And we uh, found a, a supplier out of somewhere in Utah, and we shipped rolls of toilet paper as a sort of, hey, we think your house is damaged. Here's some toilet paper. Just in case. in case you're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it sort of opened this sort of thought process around like how swag boxes and sort of these sort of things mm-hmm. can sort of attract the customer acquisition and conversion. And so that's how mail is being used now. It's not necessarily about that direct mail piece. It's about an actual gift. It's about, you better give me something good. And then... <laughs> I'm so, uh, Only because I do a birthday box. I send a... I send a box, and inside it is a Hostess cupcake, a little kazoo, a little birthday cone hat, and a little note from me saying, you know, happy birthday on behalf of Beckman Real Estate. You know, have yourself a treat. Take a photo. Snap it on social. Yeah. I've, in fact, a, a couple clients, or a couple months ago, I got a, a lead from a client, and the subject line was, the birthday box got me. Oh, nice. <laughs> I could not. That's, and it was an that attorney that I practiced with. Yeah. But I couldn't believe, I mean, I've been doing this for a year and a half, and I hadn't quite had that effect. I've, but to your point, it seems like that type of gift is what's ultimately converting them, unless you just bombard them with Wait, multiple. Yeah. No, they're getting it. Yeah. So, like, for us, on the toilet paper side, we send it to yeah, all that's... our enterprise clients, insurance agents. And oh, nice. And yeah. Executives and, yeah. And so. Decision makers, I guess. Yeah, decision makers. And, yep. And, uh, you know. There was a real sort of ability to sort of create a meaningful experience, and some of them did an unboxing on their own without us asking. We didn't. Have oh, cool! Out. Like on video. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. So neat. it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. And and now in that FedEx envelope, so we branded our own FedEx envelope, had them printed, and then you send someone their single address report. So the, their address, it has the full weather check history and what's going on with their property and what we think. Mm-hmm. right about what's going on with them and that's really impactful because mm-hmm. again everybody sort of knows what that experience is it is for that fedex person to knock on the door mm-hmm. and say yeah hey i got a practice for you and you need to sign for it yeah yeah, yeah it's powerful right yeah it and is so powerful. so that twenty dollars that it and, and i think we're paying a little bit less than that but you know on average 20 bucks to get that package to a high value asset mm-hmm. is a, huge ability to convert yeah right? yeah because now they're like and then sometimes you get someone who calls you and says don't ever send me shit like that ever again you know? <laughs> i've had that it happens yeah I'm yeah like, okay well take I me guess. off the list yeah t- yeah i've had yeah. them straight up let crumple the note up and put it under my windshield wipers of my car and say they yeah they said please take me off your mail like, yeah okay I'm sure it was guess that nice one uh well it's it's yeah silver bullet right i mean yeah client that doesn't want to work with you may not be one you want to work with. Well, and, yeah, and, exactly. And frankly, it's ludicrous. So for everybody who's <laughs> listening who would ever do anything like that, okay, 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have a lot going on yeah. for you to drive yeah. over to my house. Sorry, and put sorry, my you had a tough in day. Windshield wipers. Yeah. <laughs> they brought it to your house. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. People my. are people are interesting. Like I'm so busy, and I'm sure you guys are too. Like when people are petty, you're just like, okay, what else is I'm going gonna, on in your yeah, life exactly. that you have the yeah, ability just, to devote yeah. time and energy yeah, on that? Don't have time to worry about that. I'm like, it would piss me off though. I'd have to get. Okay, so you won't leave me. You won't bring my present. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send you a glitter box. Yeah. Oh, and it's gonna say, "Oh, we took you off the mailing list." <laughs> yeah. Congrats, you're off the congrats, mailing list. Congrats, you're off the yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Uh, well, is in regards to your growth, it sounds like you're very focused on consumers. We are, but. It's only because that data point gives us the ability to upsell. Yeah. So we get one of your clients, and uh, then we now know that you are insuring that address. Mm -hmm. And we can now have a conversation with an agent or broker who represents a lot of people. Right, okay. Um, or a carrier who represents right. a whole lot more people. And so that's been a really great way to do it. The other piece is that, you know, like in the world of software as a service, the whole play is like, oh, hey, why don't you pay this recurring membership fee? There's an emergence of a software as a service style of business that says, don't pay us anything. Yeah. Right? And we are going to monetize at the right moment. Right? Because that, that actual margin might be higher. So, for instance, I, I couldn't convince you to pay $25 a month for our service. But I can convince you that at the time of claim that you'll oh yeah, to me. and so there's a lot of those sort of models that you're seeing sort of take hold where where it's not as as and frankly like it would have been cheaper for you to pay me twenty five twenty five bucks yeah. you know and you keep the savings but most consumers don't think about it that way mm -hmm. yeah. and so you just sort of have to follow what general consumer behavior is and kind of go from there and so. You know, today we're the largest holder of assignment of benefits in the country, with almost 19,000 wow. of them. Wow. Um, under our belt. That's and crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. Market share. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's well, amazing. Well, the 80 million structures in the country, you know, you're still sort of like, still got a little ways to go. Yeah. yeah. But we're certainly making making waves in that regard. Is WeatherCheck, I mean, is it global? Is it global yet? Or? The software has the capability to be. Really, we just focus anything on in North America. North America. Okay, yeah. cool. Have you run across any hiccups in working with other countries, or are they pretty receptive to American data-owned companies? It's interesting to me in light of this past year with the political climate we had. You know, I mean, this transition was rough on everyone. It seems like how did the world, as a as an entrepreneur, did you see? business being affected on, on the micro level with interacting with these other nations? Well, other countries are, are, aren't an issue. It really has more to do with, like we have a really, really solid um, weather system or weather network that our government has financed, so the National Weather Service, and all of those radars and satellites and all these other things that we have, and all that's public. In a lot of other countries, that's not as robust. Oh, okay. And yeah. so when you start dealing with some of those scenarios, a lot of the, the, that equipment is either privately held, right? So think about um, Saudi Arabia, where we have a sort of ongoing interest there with some international clients. Uh, a lot of the weather infrastructure they pay for privately. So you can't access their data without... Without the permission. Without, right? yeah. And so, which makes forecasting harder. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's really the principal consideration. Um, Europe is pretty well handled. Europe has a really great network, and uh, basically most of uh, the European climate scientists, you know, really run out of Germany and uh, out of the UK. And so those are actually the areas that get me most excited about the company in the long run, is the ability to sort of look at those particular markets yeah, and, uh, you know, hop on a jet and go hang out for a little while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So on a much larger scale, let's talk about Louisville a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Larger than the international. Larger than uh, Germany, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, like, I mean, you've started, what, three, four companies here in Louisville? Yeah. Now you're growing to the national level with WeatherCheck. Is there anything that sticks out? And I'm stealing this question from Beckman because he asked it earlier yeah. uh, this week. But uh, something Louisville could do better, or is there anything Louisville can do to make it easier for entrepreneurs to get up and running and grow? Go to therapy. (laughs) 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 I I do think Louisville does need to go to therapy in a way because, you know, we've had a lot of instances in which things were close to happening. They didn't happen, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think we have a little bit of a psychosis around like, you know, oh, you're going to leave me or, you know, like Mm -hmm. those sort of things. And I think Louisville's got to do its work to make sure that it's not dealing with the next thing in that way. Because as things grow, and that's certainly been true for us, Mm -hmm. that as you grow, you just have to get out. You have to go to other markets and develop teams and, Mm -hmm. you know, leverage people and all these sort of things that are really going to get you to 50 million, 100 million, Mm -hmm. million dollars in revenue. And some of it can be done here. You know, there's a, there's a good line share. I mean, like a lot of our sort of seeding was ha- happened here. Mm-hmm. But I think one of our early investors, uh, Michael Boone, said this explicitly when he wrote us that first hundred thousand dollar check. He said, "Go make the world smaller." And so he recognized very early on that like everything that we needed wasn't here. Right. Right. Now Louisville's sticky in that way. Like most people feel like there's an aesthetic feel here of, in living here. And so, but it might not be that everybody works here. Yeah. And so Louisville needs to sort of still reco- reconcile itself to, okay, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for people to live here, but then work somewhere else, you know? And so, and frankly, it's been sort of quietly happening. I think for years, you know, the Louisville airport on Monday morning before COVID was Grand Central Station, yep. mm-hmm. you know? And if you were lucky enough, Bowman Field. Yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, if you get your own jet, then uh, you're, you're off to the races. Right. Yep. Um, and so, you know, there, there's that whole thing around sort of feeling comfortable with this idea that we're in a global economy, that people are going to have investments and interest in other parts of the country. The big thing, you know, from my perspective, oh, and, I, and I think that's a byproduct of actually higher earn, uh, earning employees being here. So when you sort of start dealing with more white collar work, end up with this sort of diversity of jobs and diversity mm-hmm. of responsibilities. No, you don't actually have to go down to the corner office anymore. Um, that person also, maybe maybe their office is in New York. Or Irvine or wherever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wherever. Yeah. You know? So I think where, where, where we need to spend a lot of time is actually in our connectedness to, I think, before we build, and, I, and I've been like slightly frustrated with the number athletic, and we do a lot of athletic stuff, right? So yeah. we, got, we got a soccer field. Luckily, that was predominantly private money. Yep. Uh, we got a yum center. We got a track and field facility that just, so, you know, and, and you're like, okay, but, but it still takes two and a half hours to get to Nashville. Yeah. Right. R- right. Same with Indy, same, same with Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Like, yeah. Um, like, can we get like a commuter plane just to get down there? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I remember one year, like, you know, I was a big public transportation guy. And one, one time I decided, you know what? I'm going to take the Greyhound bus to Nashville. Okay. And I was like, let me see if I can make it work. Like, I used to talk around town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I did too. Six hours. hours. Well, first of all, it never happened. Oh, okay. There you go. Did you go down to the Greyhound <laughs> station and say, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I bought the ticket, got down to the Greyhound station. First of all, Greyhound needs to do some work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, come on. Like, can we get some private equity dollars <laughs> yeah, right. to, to some uh, Greyhound? Because it's a real thing, but the, the bus was late. <laughs> and so by the time, like, I would have gotten there, I was like, hell no. Like, I, I, you know, so I just, you know, rented a car and drove Go myself, Exactly, yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. And so uh, instead of driving all the way back to my house. Right. And so it's, it's those sort of things. Like if, if Nashville has all this growth, yeah, then why aren't we making it easier to get people to and from those locations? That's a good point. If Indy has, you know, like I don't want to live in Nashville. I just want to enjoy the amenities that Nashville has. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so when you sort of look at something like... Because that also gives them the, the ease of coming here. here. Yeah. 
I mean, not like we're shipping everybody out. It ain't rocket science. Right, right. Yeah. You know? And you listen, you know, my, my grandfather used to say, I may have been born in the night, but I wasn't born last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I'm sort of like, some of these things are very simple, but I think it's the sort of audacity to say, no, 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 go bigger. Yeah. Like, no, not another soccer field, not another, no, we need high-speed rail, or we need, mm-hmm. you know, some yeah. of these yeah. infrastructure plays that I'm, I'm like, please increase my taxes, but if it means right. that, like I can get from Louisville to Nashville really fast, or I can get from even Louisville to Lexington. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why isn't there something, a faster way to get there than driving down 64? Right. Yeah. You know, because you know people would do it. How many people go from Louisville to Lexington every day? day? Sometimes I'm not even going to pretend like I know that answer, but it's a lot. It's a lot, you know, and you're like, hmm. And so I think it's like just some of those big ideas, and and I and I guess it's guys like me who who sort of start talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I think that right now, you know, you saw when they finished the bridge, they started talking about building another loop around Louisville. You know, there were conversations about, oh, there needs to be a, a third a ring. A third. I'm like, this is not Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is just like, like. It's not your move goal on your Apple Watch. Yeah. 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 Like, really? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think mine is off, but whatever. <laughs> so, like, it's like, well, no, D, like, wake up. There was a whole moment where, like, it was like saying that I was standing and I was not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, thank you. But, yeah. Uh, Nice, yeah. nice little gift there, right, Mr. Jobs. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, those are the sort of things that I think we've got to sort of um, put some pressure. And I think, I think, you know, we're such a nice community to one another, but I think we do need to be more aggressive in how we talk to politicians, how mm-hmm. we talk to people in government mm-hmm. about what we expect. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, at the end of the day, like. We, we we sort of missed a really great opportunity. Had we had a a nonstop flight from Louisville to San Francisco, we just saw a huge exodus. Yeah. From that yeah. city. Yeah. Yeah. How many engineers would have said, "Oh, you know what? There's a nonstop." I can flight. go to direct to Louisville. I, I well, I'm them. I'm working with engineers from Irvine through Apris relocating to Louisville mm-hmm. uh, because money's cheap and like the company's here and. You know, their $1,100 condo in Irvine can buy them a $600,000 house in Crestwood with a five-bedroom yeah. and a half-an-acre lot and in a great school district. Yeah. And, uh, and you are seeing this flight. But he, it's a sight-unseen offer because there's not an easy way to jump to Louisville. Yeah. He's having family come in from Ohio. which is uh, But that's the second engineer, data, data engineer that I've worked with relocating because they can work anywhere yeah so yeah well and and a lot of people i think even people who can't work elsewhere they're sort of getting this sort of hybrid Mm -hmm. you know and 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 i just think that those are the areas where we've got to start really pushing you know and frankly i'm only comfortable with our taxes increasing if we're really getting good stuff yeah you know like yeah exactly we want it to be worth it you want but it's got to be worth it yeah give me the stuff that i want yeah. You know, and I want high speed rail, hyperloop, give me something. Yeah. NFL, yeah. NBA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm the bourbon I can drink. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, no, but. And but, luckily, everybody agrees, right? Everybody agrees with me. No, nobody's going to say no to more bourbon. Yeah, I, yeah I that's right. Just couch it under I that. Agree. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, so, no, but it's, it's a great city to be a part of, you know, and it's sort of hard to go away from it in a way. Because, again, it is a sticky city. It yeah. is one of those cities where you're like, you know, like I've been spending four days a week in Dallas. Love Dallas, but Dallas is enormous. Right. It is hard to, hard to navigate. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of sort of inaccessible places, private clubs that you aren't going to get access to. Right. And uh, without a very big check and the right pedigree and all of these other things which I haven't found that to be true in Louisville, you know? And so I, I have heard some feedback that, like, up against the Northeast, Louisville has far more 
private clubs. <laughs> really? Like, you, you mean like private clubs like the Pendennis Club and things oh, like yeah, that? Stuff like that. Like those type of clubs, that, like that, uh, Skull and Bones or Masons? And well, all of those are relatively accessible, right? You know, like you're not going to pay... The entry fee is not a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. The clubs that you're in, you're at the Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah. And so, six spe- yeah, sp- yeah. Speaking of movers and shakers, and gosh, I guess we could have another podcast about this. But what are your opinions? Like, it seems like whenever there's this type of market distortion, we, we clearly have the markets doing very interesting things, and every no one has a crystal ball, but there's there's opportunity somewhere. Is this just another situation where 20 years from now we look back and the rich just got richer and the wealth gap continues to <laughs> get, get broader? Did I just drop a <laughs> very loaded question in here? Boom. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, I happen to be a, a Bible reader, and, and I think Scripture says, the poor will be with you always. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not so sure that there's ever going to be a moment where we're going to say, yep, that was the moment that everything was <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. Like, I think, I think that I, I, so the thing that I continually harp upon is that was this a moment in which we realized that we were a community? Did we realize that we're all in this together? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So whether you've got a dollar, no dollar, are all the dollars. Yeah. You know, like, it's sort of that general understanding that, like, you know, we've all got this um, sort of combined vested interest um, in what's going on. So mm-hmm. so whether you care, whether you want to live in the West End or not of Louisville, whether you want to live in the South End or not, mm-hmm. you've got a vested interest. But what alleviates that pressure is when you can do it with another person. Right? And so having a co-founder, having a partner and so you know and a way to find that person is to ask yourself if I had a kid or if I do or don't have kids at this moment would I keep this person let my let my kids keep this person oh okay you know, that's a great or would, 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 my, would I let my kids stay with this person that's a good way yeah, of looking at yeah. it and, and that's the answer a, is yes they're trustworthy they're a trustworthy person they're a good business partner if you're like I'm not so sure they might let my kids drink alcohol or whatever yeah. you know like all that sort of stuff you know not a good business partner yeah. You know? And so that's generally how I would think about, like, the answer to your question around, you know, ability to sort of get after it. The other thing I think about is this sort of mid-cap sort of work. So a lot of people are working in corporate America in this city at a big company. And the right answer is oftentimes that they need to go down market into a smaller organization. Mm-hmm. Right? They need to go to a mid-cap company with you know, 50 to 100 employees. Right, right. You know, versus being at one with 50,000. Right. And actually, that is an intermediate step. It was the thing that actually helped me the most, I think, is that I started out in a small roofing company, right? And that small experience, being able to see the, the depth and breadth of what was going on in that firm, $10 million in the firm, and sort of having the autonomy to touch everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See how it's run. See how it's run. What doesn't go so well. Right. You know, all of those sort of things. Character flaws in the owners. Like, all of those sort of things start to illuminate to you. Okay, when I do it. I mean. I'll do it this way. Right. Instead. And so you're learning on their dime. And you don't really. Yeah, you you want to go to a firm that's sort of mid-growth. Mm-hmm. Right. Not a firm that's been in business forever and it's not trying to grow. But you want to go to one that, that sort of is focused on growth, wants to make more revenue, because then your chops will get beat up a little bit, and you'll learn more faster, right? So, like, don't go work at up the, you know, bookstore. Yeah. You're not going to see too much. Right, right, right. But, but you, you want to go to companies that are really sort of trying to push the boundary and yeah. get, get some perspective from there. And that's, that's how I would approach it. I think there's, we don't have enough, Specifically in Louisville, I don't think we have enough strong number two through ten or two through twenty employees. Interesting. Okay. You know, yeah. would that be considered a mid-level company? No, mid-level? I think two to ten is up at yeah. the top. I mean, depending on yeah the size of the company, but two, well, like two to yeah. Like, so you're talking about you know heads of C-suite. operations, C-suite sort of folks. Yeah. Like or C-suite in training. 
right? Like yeah. maybe you're like, you know, you want to see sweet roll, but that role isn't really the org isn't ready for that role. Mm -hmm. And so, hey, maybe you're leading operations at a startup, and that startup catches fire. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe they're Series A startup, as an example. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, then eventually somebody's going to say, you know what? We need a chief operations officer. And guess who that's going to go to? Yeah. Director right. of operations. The director of operations, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, or that you know, operations lead, or whatever you're called. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so you, yeah. and you might not even have a title at that moment. Right. right. Yeah. But it's one of those sort of things that you really need really, really strong two through ten people that um, are willing to sort of put their hand to the plow and work with you. And there's there's a lot of folks here who have already achieved. They've already been CFO. They've already. That's not who you're looking for. You're right. looking for, I, I think immediately, and I'm going to say his name, uh, uh, Chris Morgan over at Tempur-Pedic uh, over in Lexington. He was at Argy for a while. And like, it's widely known that like, I want him on our finance team. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, Chris Morgan? Like, he knows too. Yeah, he knows too. Yeah. So okay. This isn't, this isn't yeah. uh, news to him. And so uh, <laughs> he's a, a great example of somebody who's been in a mid-sized company, now, Sealy Timberpedic is now larger. He was mm -hmm. at Argy mm -hmm. and sort of has the skills, has developed the chops, and can come in and, as a CEO, me give him full autonomy and say, I know you've seen some things. We still don't have to talk about a few key decisions, but I feel comfortable handing this to you. Yeah. A lot of people want the level of ownership, and the truth is, is that they've not been tried by fire. Yeah. And they yeah. have to really be handed it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. That's a great, great wrap. I agree. I agree. Well, thanks for coming, man. Uh, yeah. Really appreciate you taking the time. And I know you're a hot commodity and on the road all the time. So glad we could. Yeah. Thank catch you. you. Thank you. You know, it feels weird to be a hot commodity. I don't, I don't think that's actually true. I think that people are always uh, like sort of interested in like what we're working on, kind of what we're doing. But, but at the end of the day, like every other company in the yeah. world, you know, just trying to make our way and employ people and do the right thing, you know. How many? Well, how many employees do you have? We have eleven. Eleven. Okay. And but but you're in like seven different states, didn't you say? Or you? Well, I mean, you know, frankly, we cover anything in the continental United States and North America. But you know, our sort of core markets are Charlotte, Denver, Chicago, and uh, Dallas. Dallas. Okay. So before we go, how can people find you? Yeah. If they want to sign up for WeatherCheck, uh, what, what's the process? What do they do? Well, you know, on all the social, you know, okay. Clubhouse and Instagram. And Clubhouse? You're yep. on Clubhouse? Hashtag Clubhouse. Yeah, Clubhouse we just got fan. on that. Yeah. 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 So Have you been dropping in on that pretty frequently? Or? I we were in the same room we yesterday. Or... With some VCs from American yep. Family. Yep, National. exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the internet, so you can find me. Just by Google. Just yeah. don't send them a friend request. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> Unless it's an application. Yeah. Facebook friend request. I, you know, Facebook is for people who I know really. Yeah. Well. Family yeah, friends. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Hundred so, percent. Um, Twitter, Instagram. Feel free to have your way with that. Cool. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks Demetrius for being here. Please subscribe. Please leave a review. We want to know what you guys think. And uh, thanks for everybody for sharing our Instagram post and, and getting the word out there and we will see you next time.